All right. You guys can have a seat for just a moment. Um, The first thing I want to say is I'm glad to be back. And uh, I know. um, And I'm glad you're here. It's midwinter break. And so all of our teachers and all of our families are like, they're gone. They're out of here. So I'm glad you guys are here with us this morning. But for those of you who don't know, I spent the last week in the hospital and you guys probably just picked up on the two weeks I preached prior to that, just something wasn't right. And, you know, we've been kind of battling something. I'm clear. I've got a clean bill of health from my doctors. Um, I'm recovering. I'm on steroids today. So, um, but what I want to say is when I went into the hospital Thursday, this church sprang into action so quickly to care for my family. And so much so that my mom and dad, they rushed up here when they found out I was sick. My brother who lives here in Brooklyn and his wife were over at our apartment. And just in like the span of like 90 minutes, like multiple church members had come by, brought meals. I mean, literally like our freezer is stocked right now. But my, it's so cool. My, my brother and his wife and my parents, they just could, their jaws were on the floor. And they said, I cannot believe how well this church has cared for you. And they said, they both of them said, I would love to have a church like that. And, you know, the last sermon I preached before I went to the hospital was Jesus's words where he said, the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And this church showed that to my family so well over the last week. And the truth is, it's not because I'm the pastor that the church showed that kind of love and support for me. It's because I'm a member of the church. And I believe, and I know our deacons would agree and our leadership would agree, that we want to be there for anybody in our church who needs that. And anybody in this church, and many of you can attest to this, when you've needed care, there have been people in this congregation who've stepped up and given it to you. But sometimes you people find themselves in situations and they don't know how to get in touch with our leaders um, to let us know that, that, that they need a meal or that they need someone to come pray for them. We have a resource for you guys, crossroadsbrooklyn.com slash care. It's not a public site, meaning that it's, you can't navigate it from our website, but if you know it's there, crossroadsbrooklyn.com slash care. It's a resource for our church members. And on that site, there's a form you can fill out. It immediately gets blasted to all of our deacons and our pastors. And so somebody, whoever checks their email first, is going to begin the ball on finding a way to make sure there's something we can care for you for. So if you ever need anything, that's what that resource is for. Also on Sunday mornings at the Next Steps table, we have a prayer and care card that you can fill out. You fill that out, and somebody's going to get in touch with you Monday morning with, when we get into the office and we see this. And so I just want you to know, yes, the church cared for me this week, but we want to do that for all of you. And so if you ever need anything, those resources are available to you. So please take advantage of those. Amen. Um, I'll just go ahead and tell you my thesis for this morning and my desire in all my ministry as a pastor of this church. One of my greatest desires is that you would love this book. One of my greatest desires is that you would know this book and that as you know this book and study this book and pray this book and sing this book and meditate on the words in this book, 
that you would come to know the surpassing love of Jesus in your life. Because every page in this book whispers the name of Jesus. Some pages shout him, his name. And I want you, this is why I teach every week, this is why I study the way I do, because I want you to love this book in a way that leads you to Jesus, in a way that leads you to love him and to abide in him, and as you do that, that his words would abide in you. A few years ago, I read a book from a man named Willie James Jennings called The Christian Imagination, Theology and Origins of Race. Uh, It's Black History Month. If you're looking for a good theological treatment for understanding a theology of race and how racial reconciliation works in a biblical way, I recommend this book. It's a little academic, a little heavy, but I recommend this book if you're into that sort of thing. But that's really not the point this morning. The point is, in his book, in the introduction, he sort of gives a little biographical sort of information about who he is. And he tells a story about growing up during the Great Migration. You guys know what this is? Um, He grew up, he was born in the South, but there was a time where African Americans from the South, over the course of a few decades, migrated from the South to the North, uh, looking for better living and working conditions. And this is his story. He was a part of the Great Migration. And he talks about his parents, though, in the introduction. He talks about the home they cultivated, even in the midst of constant change. And this is what I want you to see this morning. This This blew me away the first time I read this. I was just gobsmacked by it. He says, Mom and Dad loved Jesus. To say they were devout Christians is simply too pale a descriptor. A far more accurate characterization would be there was Dad, Mom, and Jesus. Woven into the fabric of our lives was the God-man Jesus, who rather than simply serving as an indicator of their orthodoxy, became the very shape of their stories. The stories of Jesus and Israel were so tightly woven into the stories of my parents, into the stories my parents told of themselves, listen to this, that it took me years to separate biblical figures from extended family members. Biblical sinners from sinners all around us and biblical places of pain from their places of pain. I was never able to separate biblical hopes from their real hopes though. They knew the Bible, but far more important, they knew the world through the Bible. Do you guys hear what he just said? He just said that his parents were so deeply connected, and so the the scriptures were so deeply taught and talked about in his home, that as a kid, he did not know the difference between biblical figures and real family members. Like, can you imagine like a nine-year-old boy and they're like, somebody's talking about Solomon and he's like, you know, I don't know if Solomon is a guy in the Bible or if that's my uncle. You know, or like they're talking about David and they're like, well, is, I can't remember, is David my cousin or is David? That's amazing to me. His parents left a legacy in his life. The way they talked about the Bible, the way they hoped in its promises They left an impression and a legacy in his life, one that showed great appreciation and respect for the Bible in their home. The scriptures were embedded into the life of their family. And he goes on to talk about growing up in a home that was full of love and peace and hope and joy and gentleness and compassion and hospitality, even in the midst of very difficult and trying circumstances. You see, for Willie James Jennings, the home he grew up in was a home worth abiding in. Why? Because God's word was abiding in that home. 
See, we're in a sermon series on spiritual growth, and we must understand the incredible importance of the Scriptures for our spiritual growth. We've been studying John 15, and in John 15, verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. A chapter earlier in John 14, Jesus said these words, Whoever has my commandments, meaning whoever has my law, my word, my scriptures, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, I'm glad, I bet that Judas is really glad they added that part. It's like, no, 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 not that guy. Judas, not Iscariot, the other Judas, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So we spent the last few weeks talking about spiritual growth. How do we grow into the person that God wants us to be or the person that we know we should be? And the metaphor that Jesus uses is that of a vine and a branch. He is the vine. We are the branches. If we abide in him, if we are connected, if we are a a a branch connected to the vine that gives life, he will produce much fruit in our lives. And that's a really powerful metaphor. If we abide in him, we'll bear much fruit. Beautiful imagery, but let's be practical for a second. How do we abide in Christ? That sounds a bit mystical, doesn't it? Abide. Maybe a little new agey. Like abide, abide. Sounds like a hair salon. Like what does abide mean? What does it mean? How do we do it? Jesus elaborates in John 15. He says, one of the ways you abide in me is by having my words abide in you. Jesus says here that one of the ways in which we can abide in him is by knowing, obeying, and being shaped by his word or the scriptures or the Bible. And one of our core values as a church is knowing Christ through the scriptures. And every word of that sentence is very important because we know Christ through the scriptures. The scriptures lead us to Christ and we can know Christ best through the scriptures. The Bible is the way in which God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We know who Jesus is, not because we just decided what Jesus was like, like many people want to do. Many people want to say, like, well, I think of Jesus, you know, Ricky Bobby, right? I think of Jesus as this, as a six-pound baby ounce, you know, lead singer of Journey or whatever. I can't remember what that movie was. But they're like, we want to imagine, often we imagine Jesus the way we want him to be. We don't want to do that at this church. We want to know Christ as he has presented himself in the scriptures, We don't get to make Christ in our own image. We know Christ by the way he presents himself in his word. We know what he is like through the scriptures. And the primary means we have for knowing Jesus is the Bible. And that means that if we're going to abide in Christ, we must have a healthy relationship with the scriptures. So, a few observations this morning from those two passages that I read. The first is we read the scriptures so that we can abide in Christ. Let me be clear. The purpose of every spiritual practice, the purpose of every spiritual discipline in our lives is to experience more of the presence of Jesus in our lives. Full stop. 
That's why we study the Bible. That's why we pray. That's why we give. That's why we serve. So that we can experience more of the presence of Jesus in our lives and so that others can experience more of the presence of Jesus in their lives. But you see, there's an error in thinking that many Christians believe. And that is that by doing spiritual things, we can earn God's acceptance or that we can earn God's favor. And that is a lie. Here's what I mean. Someone, maybe you read your Bible a few times a week. You pray a few times a week. You serve on a volunteer team at church. You give money in the offering plate. And then something in your life doesn't go how you hoped. And you shake your fist at God. God, why? Look at all these things I did for you. I give money in the offering plate. I serve at my church. And in the end, what you reveal is that you weren't practicing those disciplines and you weren't doing those spiritual things to experience more of Jesus, but rather you were doing those things to gain control over him or to put him in your debt. It's a lot like the loser guy who complains when a girl won't sleep with him on the first date because he paid for an expensive meal. You know? Well, what, then what were you, were you buying that for her or was it for yourself? Andrew Wilson, who I'm going to quote a lot today, He's a British theologian and author. He says, we do not read the Bible to earn from God. It is so easy to be tricked into thinking like this, but the purpose of reading the Bible is never to present God with a good work that entitles you to a reward. You are no more justified after reading a Bible for an hour than you are after playing PlayStation or having breakfast or going for a walk. You do not read the Bible to be justified before God. Christ has justified you before God. But we study and we sing and we pray and we meditate on the Scriptures not to get something from God, but to experience more of Him. We don't read our Bibles to earn anything from God. We read our Bibles to experience God, to abide in Christ. And Andrew Wilson, again, I lifted this straight from an article he wrote. He gives us five ways that reading the scriptures helps us abide in Christ. And I'm just going to use his outline. The first is we read the Bible to learn. We don't read the Bible to learn trivia about the Bible. And we don't read the Bible so that we can win theological or apologetical arguments. That type of knowledge puffs up, makes us arrogant and prideful. And no one likes to be beaten over the head with the Bible, right? Nobody likes that. We read our Bibles to learn about who God is and to learn about his world and to learn about ourselves and our own hearts and our own sin and to learn about how all those things fit together for his purposes. The psalm writer in Psalm 119.73 says, Give me understanding that I might learn your commandments. It's a verse worth memorizing. I want understanding. Why? So that I can learn God's commandments. We read the scriptures to learn. If you want to abide in Christ and bear fruit, you must read the scripture to learn who he is and what he is doing in the world. Second thing we do is we read the Bible to discern. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity is not just knowing what to think, but how to think. It's not just knowledge, but wisdom. We read the Bible so that we can have wisdom. 
a lifetime of reading the Bible, you would, you'll read all the stories of Jesus, you'll read the story of the apostles, you'll read the story of all these great leaders in the Bible and the kings, and you'll read the story of failures, and you'll learn, and, and you'll read um, things like the Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, and you'll read poetry. As you have a lifetime of reading those things, all those things will come together and give you a wisdom that will help you make wise decisions in your life. When we read the Bible, it shapes the way we think about everything, whether the subject is directly addressed in its pages or not. Diligence in reading the scriptures produces the fruit of discernment. Now, what is discernment? I'll tell a story to help you understand. When I was a young uh, pastor, or I was getting ready to be a pastor, I wasn't ordained yet, but I was a young student just graduating from seminary. I had two job offers given to me at about the same time, at, at the exact same time. One was as a young adults pastor at a very well-known, very large megachurch. And I, when I got that job offer, I was excited. It was a place where in my mind I thought, man, I could really influence a lot of people. I can connect with and learn from some of the best, most well-known Christian leaders in the world. Great opportunity for ministry at a church that I respected and I had known about for a long time. Another job, the other job offer was at a mid-sized church in, frankly, the middle of nowhere. And it was as an associate pastor where I would carry a lot of responsibility in all areas of church life. It wasn't like a niche job, kind of the way the megachurch job was. It was a broad job. But it was, it, I had a job offer at a mid-sized church where I was an associate pastor. I had a lot of responsibility. I was going to learn all these areas of pastoral ministry. It was out of the spotlight. But it was a place that gave me opportunities to preach, develop my, 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 my gift of preaching, a place where I could sharpen my pastoral skills in ways that the other job didn't allow. But the job also paid very well, much better than the megachurch job. And I was torn. because, And so I didn't know how to make a decision because I had these two very good job offers. Both were good job offers. And guess what? The Bible, it does, there's no chapter and verse that says, Will, that's the right job to take. And I was like, why is that not in the Bible? I need that. So I, what I did was I sought wisdom from one of my friends. And he sat down and he heard me out and he said, Will, here's what I think. It sounds like both are really good opportunities. The big mega church sounds great, but it sounds like you're drawn to it because of the chance to make a name for yourself. It sounds like you're drawn to the big stage and the big crowds. He said, I'm not saying you're prideful. <laughs> he said, but the scriptures do say pride goes before destruction. And as you consider this job, ask yourself, do you have the humility to carry that level of influence at your age? And then he said, the mid-sized church sounds really great. But you sure seem to be drawn to that salary and benefits package. The Bible says that a pastor should not be a lover of money or greedy. As you consider this job, ask yourself, are you interested in this ministry for the ministry that it offers? Or are you, ministry, are you interested in the money that it provides? You see, the Bible says nothing specifically about which job to choose. But my friend used biblical wisdom to help me strip away the fog that was clouding my decision making and helped me discern the right decision for my family. And in the end, I took the mid-sized church. It was out of the spotlight. They took care of me. They provided for me. But it, God did some of the most incredible things in our four years at that church. And it was in our four years at those church that God called us to this one. So I believe we made the right decision. We read the Bible to discern. 
And as we read the Bible, we have wisdom, and we, and we can make decisions like that because we have biblical wisdom. Third thing, we read the Bible to turn. When we read the Bible, there will be times, I'll elaborate, we read the Bible to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus. When we read the Bible, there will be times where it should convict us, where it makes us uncomfortable. It will rub us the wrong way. It will reveal and expose things about our hearts that we wish had, it hadn't done, <laughs> you know? You ever read the Bible and you're like, oh, it's, you ever, uh, this is it. You know when you're listening to a sermon, you're like, I felt like he was talking to me. I don't know what's going on in your life. That's the word piercing your heart. That is the scriptures convicting you and calling you to turn from your sin. See, there are times when the scripture will compel us to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. Reading scripture shapes our thinking, but it also shapes our behavior. The psalm writer, again, in Psalm 119, verse 11, he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We study the scriptures so that we will not sin against God. Reading the scriptures produces the fruit of repentance. And this happens not just negatively. People think of repentance, they think of like the street preachers, like repent, your skirt is too short or whatever. And they think of repentance only in negative terms. Repentance is turning from your sin, that's a negative thing. You turn from your sin, but there's a positive. You turn towards Christ who embraces you in his love and forgives you and cleans you up and makes you new and makes you whole and gives you a new life. Martin Luther, the great reformer, famously said, the entire Christian life is one of repentance. And when we read our Bibles, there will be times where it shines light on our sin and causes us to turn from our sin, but then that same light, that same flashlight will be turned on the way to Jesus and the way to forgiveness. So we read our Bibles to turn. Fourth thing, we read our Bibles to burn. Now, I know that I just had two sermon points say, turn and burn, back to back, Okay. It, context, two different types of turn and burn. Also, like I said, I took this outline from Andrew Wilson from his article in Think Theology. Andrew Wilson writes, though, he says, when I open the scriptures in the morning, this is what he means by burn. We read our Bibles to burn with passion for Jesus. He says, when I open my scripture in the morning, I'm looking for fire. I want passion to rise within me for God and his kingdom. I want heat as well as light. I want joy fuel. I want to experience the God about whom I am reading as if Jesus was personally explaining it to me in the room. That's a good vision for your daily Bible study, isn't it? I want fire. There's a story in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has risen from the dead um, but some of the disciples that got, you know, were bummed out after Jesus died and they left Jerusalem, they didn't know that Jesus had risen. And they're leaving Jerusalem, they're walking on the road to Emmaus, and they're just disappointed, they're bummed out that Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, had died. And they're unaware that Jesus had risen, they're walking away, dejected, they're just sad. And then this guy shows up, it was Jesus. He appears before them. And he starts talking to them, he's like, what's going on with you guys? And they said, well, we're following this Messiah. We thought he was the one, but he died. And Jesus starts talking about the scriptures to them. It says, and starting with Moses all the way to the prophets, he explained to them how everything in the Old Testament pointed to him as the Messiah. Like that's a conversation that I can't wait to find out how that went. Like how Genesis 6 
you know, points to Jesus or how, you know, Lamentations 4, it point, like Jesus says, it is all about me. And he tells these guys that. He explains the scriptures to them. And, and, and then he just disappears. Jesus did. Like he vanished. And the guys looking at each other are like, what? What? And they said to each other, they realized it was Jesus. You know what they said to each other? Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? We read the Bible and we, we, we read the scriptures and we look for Jesus in the scriptures so that our hearts will burn with joy for Christ. And then finally, he says, we read the Bible to yearn. When we read the Bible, we read of the past and we read of God's faithfulness to generations before us. We read of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus and how through him we can receive forgiveness and acceptance before God. In the Bible, we read about how to live today. We read about ethics and how to be the church. It tells us about the past. It tells us about how to live in the present. But when we read the Bible, we also get a picture of the future. The kingdom of heaven where every tear will be wiped from our eyes, where sickness and cancer and ERs, can I get an amen, will be no more. And IVs, I hate those things. Loneliness will be no more. Fear and anxiety will be no more. Evil will be destroyed. Autism, cerebral palsy, shame, depression, All those things will be no more. And it says that God will dwell with us. And every tribe, tongue, nation, and language will worship together in unity around the throne of Jesus. And reading the Bible, we read about this day that is coming. And it ought to stir our hearts with desire for that new world. As we read the scriptures, the seed of the kingdom of God is awakened within us and we will yearn for the realities of heaven to become realities on earth. We will yearn for more of God's presence. We will yearn for more of God's healing in our lives. We will yearn for the day when our faith will be sight and justice will roll down like rivers and death will be swallowed up in victory. And out of that yearning comes hope. And out of that hope comes a life that abides in Jesus. And a life that abides in Jesus produces what? Much fruit. You know, many people have said, some people are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. That is a bunch of hogwash. C.S. Lewis said, I have found that the people who think most of the next world are the ones that are the most useful in this one. We read the scriptures to learn discern, turn, burn, context, remember, and yearn. And those things lead us to greater abiding in Jesus, which leads us to spiritual fruit in our lives. And you say, well, what type of fruit? Jesus says the fruit of reading his word is that his word will abide in us. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. We read the scriptures not only to abide in Christ, but we read the scriptures so that Christ's words will abide in us. That's an unbelievable statement. That his words will abide in us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, that's what I want. 
Charles Spurgeon said, if somebody cuts me, I want it to bleed the Scriptures. He wanted God's Word to abide in him. What does that look like, though? You're like, what does it look like for the words of Christ to abide in me? For one, I think it means it shows us that time spent in the Scriptures is never wasted time. You know, people get frustrated, me included. You know, you get your Bible plan in January, and you're like, I'm going to do it this year. And you pull it out, and you start in the first day, and you read it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I've read that before. Sun and the moon, stars, sky. Okay, close my Bible. And you're like, okay. All right, I guess just have my coffee now. What, what do I do? You know, people get frustrated when they read the Scriptures and there isn't that fire or there isn't that immediate return on their investment. But here's what I want you to know. Regular reading of the Scriptures deposits the words of God into your heart, soul, and mind. And you need regular Bible reading so that you can recall those Scriptures on the days when you need it. You may not get the fire in your daily Bible study tomorrow. But what you read tomorrow, God is putting in your heart, and there will be a day where you will recall it when you need it. You can't recall the scriptures in times of need if you don't read them. You can't recall, and this is my wife gave me this sermon point. We can't encourage others with the scriptures if we don't know them. You can't fight the enemy when he attacks if you don't know the scriptures. So many times in my life, I have poured my coffee opened up my Bible, read, for 15, read my Bible for 15 minutes, closed my Bible, and thought, okay, was that it? See, we want, we want fireworks every time we open God's Word. And when we don't get them, we get discouraged, and many people give up. And they say, yeah, I tried to read the Bible, but it didn't work for me. But consider what a pattern, a consistent pattern of reading the Scriptures will do for you. Even if the moments of fire are rare in the moments, consistency in the scriptures will help you know God's word and it will give Jesus the time and the opportunity to place his words deep in your heart. And then down the road, there will be a moment where you are lonely and you're sad, but you will recall God's word. I have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. He will never leave me or forsake me. Thank God you deposited that in your heart years earlier so that you can have it in that moment in your loneliness. There'll be a moment where you feel ashamed in your sin and you'll recall the scriptures. God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, he cannot deny himself. You'll remember that and it'll give you the ability to stand up out of your shame and walk in the hope and and the forgiveness of Christ. There will be a day when a friend calls you in tears And you will recall a specific verse that encourages them. The Lord is your shepherd, you'll tell your friend. You shall not want. And there will be a day when Satan tempts you or casts doubt in your heart and you'll recall the words of Jesus, 2 Thessalonians 3.3. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. You know, in college, I had a season where I ran really, really far from God. But I'm thankful for my parents. They took me to church every week. You know, there's a big joke. It says, I had a drug problem when I was a kid. My parents drug me to church every day, every week. That was me. But when I was in college, I ran from God. And then one night, I got into my dorm room after a night of stupidity and just idiocy. And the Holy Spirit of God in my dorm room just convicted me of my sin. I had not thought about the Bible for months. 
I, had, I don't even know, I don't even remember reading this verse or how I even knew it, but God recalled to my mind Romans 12.1. And it says that do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I wept in my dorm room and I said, I do not want to be, I don't want to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Where did that verse come from? I have no idea. But somewhere in my parents bringing me to church and somewhere in all the Bible studies and all the youth camps that I went to, somehow that verse got lodged in my heart. And in that moment, in my dorm room, my life took a 180 and God changed me. Hide God's word in your heart. Every single time you sit with God's word in the scriptures, he is making a deposit into your life. His words are making their home in your heart, soul, and mind. That time is never wasted. Time spent with Jesus in his word will bring about spiritual fruit in your life. And I've got to go real quick. But Jesus gives three promises in our text today. He says, if you abide in him and his words abide in you, then this is the fruit you will bear. First, you'll have effective prayers. Chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And you're like, ha ha, that's what I'm talking about. Ask whatever I wish, I'm in. What does it say? If my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. When you read the scriptures and his words abide in you, you begin to see the world the way Jesus sees it. You begin to see your own heart the way Jesus sees it. You begin to see your own sin the way Jesus sees it, your own emotions the way Jesus sees them. You begin to see others the way Jesus sees them. The guy on the train, the guy in your building, the lady at your work drives you crazy. You begin to see others the way Jesus sees them when you read the scriptures. You begin to see your children the way Jesus sees them. And when you begin to see the world the way Jesus sees the world, that will change the way that you pray and your prayers will be much closer aligned to the heart of God. And when that happens, Jesus says, go ahead, ask whatever you wish in my name. You'll get it. When something is burdening you and you don't know what or how to pray for that person or situation, you know what Jesus says? Open up the scriptures and just start reading them back to me. You know that's what the Psalms are for. The Psalms are a prayer book. They are there when you don't know what to pray, just open the Psalms and just read them to God. And when you see a promise in the Scriptures, remind God of that promise. When you see a name of God that describes His character, remind God of His character and ask Him to be who He says He is. This week, lying in the hospital bed, I can't tell you how many times I said, God, you are the great physician. I need you to be the great physician. I held up his character to him. And I I asked him to be who he says he is. And he came through. When you don't know what to pray, praying the scriptures is a pretty good idea. Open the scriptures and speak those words back to God. The second thing, second fruit that you receive when God's words abide in you is closeness with God. Verse 21, 14 verse 21, John 14 verse 21 says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
When we spend time in the scriptures, we will see more of Jesus. His words will abide in us. And Jesus says the Father of heaven sees that and comes and will make his home with us. Does God feel distant to you this morning? Are you wondering why God feels so far away? Pick up your Bible. Turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John and just read about who Jesus is. How he's near to the broken. How he extends his arms to those who have doubts. How he embraces the outcasts and the misunderstood. And as you read about who Jesus is, you will experience his nearness. The fruit, another, uh, Jesus says finally, the final fruit of his words abiding in you is obedience. Verse 23 of chapter 14, it says, John answered him, or Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. One of the things I've seen in my own life is that the more saturated I am with the scriptures, in the scriptures, the more desire I have to obey what they teach. When I'm cold toward the scriptures, God's commands feel restricting to me. But when my soul is hot from the joy of reading his word, my desires change and I trust him and I want to obey him. The fruit of the scriptures is that we will have effective prayers, closeness with God and greater obedience. That's the promise of Jesus. Listen, one of the things I want more than anything for this church is that we will be a church that loves the scriptures. That we would be a church that knows what they teach that we would be a church that is compelled to obey the commands of the scriptures and that we would be a church that would have such a knowledge of Jesus and his love and compassion and that we would be so close to him and that we would abide in him so in such nearness that his words would then abide in us and we would be a blessing to the world around us just like he was. I want us to be so saturated in the words of Christ that the life of Christ flows through us in this city and that God uses us to bring about great awakening in this, in this city. That we would abide in him and his words abide in us and that we would bear much fruit in our city. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for Crossroads. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us your word so that we don't have to guess what you're like. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to see what your son was like. And we can read Colossians that says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If we want to know what you're like, we know what your son is like. And God, thank you for the scriptures. Give us a a mind to understand them. God, I pray that in our small group, that our growth groups and in our Sunday morning services and all our other discipleship events, that we would help one another know what the scriptures teach. And when we're confused as to what they mean, that we would come together as a church family and study together and find out what you say about yourself. God, we thank you that you've given us your word because through your word, we know that you came and you lived for us and you died for us. And you rose from the dead for us and you defeated sin, sickness, shame, Satan, hell, and death forever. And we have new life through your son. And we know all these things because the scriptures tell us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.